0: Welcome to Houston Sports Talk with your host, Robert Land. Thanks for checking into the best Houston sports podcast. Joining me in Sports Radio 610's Sean Bajani to analyze the Astros draft is Astros future podcast host and Astros farm system guru, Jimmy Price. Welcome back, Jimmy. And I'm going to waste no time with a big picture, big picture question for you. What did you learn, if anything, about GM Dana Brown from his first Astros draft.
1: If I had to say one thing, I'd probably say, I think we've known this from, from his Braves time, but I think he really values tools. You know, we we saw him go for some guys, uh, Bryce Matthews, you know, first-round pick, shortstop, uh, very toolsy, good pop speed. Um, another shortstop they took in the ninth round, Jerron Williams, super fast. You know, they went with a few prep guys. They got the shortstop in the fifth round out of uh, Colorado, the two high school outfitters in the 11th and 12th. And I think I think that's kind of Dana Brown saying, you know, he he, I think he – Values the prep guys, maybe a little bit more than the college guys, but also just really values those tools where, you know, maybe some GMs played a little bit safer with someone who's maybe had the production and the tools aren't as sexy, but maybe they they have a higher floor. Um, I think he's kind of a swing for the fence kind of guy. And I think that's what he did in this draft.
2: Relative to what the farm system looks like, has looked like over the course of the past couple of three years where, you know, the Astros have had to pluck some guys, you know, to swing some deals. How well do you feel like they've been able to restock in terms of positionally pitching position players um, in this draft particularly?
1: Yeah, so I think over the last couple of years, they've done well adding talent, you know, despite not being uh, top or picking at the top of the draft, despite not having the first and second round picks that they Uh, they lost in in 20 and 21 i think they've done well adding talent i think last year all their shortstops were kind of late late round picks Uh, between that around 11 and 20 more depth guys i think this year he went for a little bit higher upside with the infield which i know you don't draft for need especially not in baseball but the astros have a need for some some infield depth especially at the lower level so you get a guy like bryce matthews chase jaworski the fifth round pick the high school uh lefty hitter 18 years old i think they're looking at replenishing that but if you go look even at like what click did last year um he he got a lot of really good pitchers in the system. And, you know, we, all, we always talk about James Click or Dana Brown, and you kind of focus on those guys. But a lot of the scouts are still the same, and they've been the same for a while. Chris Gross, the scouting director, has been the same for a while. So um, they're still going to be their touch on the draft as well. But despite what I think maybe some of the national media may say or the mainstream media who's following the Astros and all the other uh, minor league squads, um, I do think that they have a lot of talent and just some that's just maybe not as highly recognized as uh, as some of the other teams.
0: Lots of excitement about first-round pick Bryce Matthews because he is a local guy. Actually, he did the Astros program when he was a kid. But is it fair to say that he wasn't considered a top fifty pick, according to most boards, and and what do you make of that if that's true? I
1: mean, I think it's so hard in the draft, you know, especially in baseball and with the comp picks, I mean you know the Astros first pick was number twenty eight they didn't pick again until sixty one so say Matthews is a guy that they really like and they believe in, and they think he has the uh, ability to be a major league player and a, a contributor. Do you take the risk on him not being there in your second round if most people think he's valued around 50 or do you just go ahead and take him? You know, the slot value thing is so important in baseball, too. You know, MLB gives a value that the Astros can spend on the first round pick. They don't have to spend that. A lot of times they'll spend less. I think Bryce Matthews will come in a little bit less, which is going to give them the ability to sign probably three high school players. You know, last year they signed Ryan Clifford in the 11th round. That was their one high school player this year. I think there's a good chance that they may end up signing the fifth round pick and then the 11th and 12th as well.
2: There's one guy that the Astros took in this draft, not named Bryce Matthews, since we just talked about him a little bit, that you, Jimmy, would deem a steal. Like you were just surprised that, you know, they fell and the Astros were the team that nabbed them up. Who who would you say?
1: I like Cam Fisher, fourth rounder out of UNC Charlotte. Uh, Thirty home runs last year, big bat. He's got some strikeout issues, but he walks a lot. Good power. Um, I'm kind of surprised that he was he was still available in the fourth round, especially given that the teams like to to get some of the older guys and and uh, and sign them for under slot. But that's one that I was uh, really excited to see. Um, I also think you know getting uh, Jerron Williams, like uh, from Toledo, go look at his numbers. You know, and the Astro, I was talking with Kenny about this the other day, and. The Astros don't really have anyone in their system that's like a big-time base steal. I think Jacob Melton leads the system with 30 stolen bases right now, but he's a big guy. He's like, you know, 6'3, 6'4. Mm-hmm. Uh Jerome Williams is going to be that kind of spark plug guy. He got, you know, makes contact. I think he stole 49 bases in like 53 games. So I don't know if he'll end up being the steal, but to to get another talent like that in the system is really good. But overall, like looking back on the draft, I think they had a good draft and um, I, I definitely like adding some of that young, low-level talent because if you go look at like the Woodpeckers roster right now, the Single light roster, pitching side is great, but on the on the hitting side, it's been it's been pretty bleak. And you know they have a few guys in the FCL that'll come up hopefully towards the end of the year. Uh, but I think getting some of that low-level talent is going to be important in the system.
0: Real quick, remind people where they picked Jaron Williams. What round was that? Ninth round. Ninth round out of Toledo. I'm going to go the opposite of Sean and just ask if there's anybody that they picked that you're worried about, or maybe perplex you a little bit. You know, it's hard to say, like I say, you, you never know
1: when the Astros get a hold of them, the way they can, they can uh, make changes to their pitching arsenal, the way they can make hitting adjustments. And, and these guys come, come out or either way better than, than they were in college, or uh, maybe they don't make improvement, but Alonzo Treadwell, he was, pretty much projected to be in that that second round area but you know his fastball is like a a low to mid 90s and you know sometimes you just think top top couple rounds you're going to be getting a guy who can come in and and miss bats immediately and maybe he will uh, but just the report on him maybe isn't as enticing as maybe you would see in a second rounder I do think he's got some some projectability six foot eight you know 230 pounds kind of like Andrew Taylor last year they drafted he was six five and I think 195 at the draft Um, so there's some projectability with him but like I said it's I think it's just really hard to say you know there's there's so much that can go right and so much that can go wrong in a, in a baseball draft that it really takes, you know, years and years before you can even start judging it.
2: You know, you talk about projectability for me, you know, looking at all of the major sports drafts, it's such a difficult thing to do, particularly in baseball. I'm kind of one of those, like, I want to sit back and just kind of watch Mm -hmm. and, and see these guys develop. But, you know, you talk about a guy like Treadwell, you know, maybe low to mid 90s fastball. I want to take him in as an example, you know, just particularly given the stage that he's at in his, you know, young career collegiately. What is the projectability for a guy like that with that frame, that height, the way that he throws the baseball that the Astros might see and say, you know what, like with everything that they've done over the course of the last five, six, seven years with their pitchers. And with spin rate, and just breaking it down, and just a different approach, it seemed like maybe maybe everybody's catching up by now. But just the approach that they've taken, how much better can he be in terms of velocity, in terms of movement, in terms of that swing and miss stuff?
1: Yeah, and I mean, I think you know the important thing is the Astros have. Um, it's it used to be like a velocity driven league, right? Like I mean, you go back ten, fifteen years ago, if you were throwing you know high nineties, you were probably going to be successful. Well, now there's so many guys doing it that. Um, the Astros have found other ways to get swings and misses, and that's from the the vertical approach angle that the guys are releasing from, the mechanics, um, the the pitch tunneling is a big thing, you know, making sure your fastball and your, your off-speed pitches look the same yeah. at least halfway through the delivery, you know, when you release the ball. And then they've really worked on, like, the sweeper-cutter thing with a lot of guys. A lot of guys have added that. You know, you look at a guy like Javier, uh, Luis Garcia, who had success, and, you know, they're not – they're not blowing guys away with 98, 99. I mean, I think sometimes they would run it up maybe into the higher 90s. But I think with Treadwell, hopefully the the thing for him is that if he does do that well, that pitch tunneling and he gets swings and misses on his fastball, there's a couple of guys they drafted last year. I mentioned Andrew Taylor, but Nolan DeVos is another one. He throws like 92 and he's got like 82 strikeouts in 50 innings this year. It's insane, but it's yeah. it, he throws that invisible like Javier where guys, they just literally can't see it from the point of where he releases it, and it feels like it's rising. So I think the Astros have done really well targeting those kind of pitchers, the guys that don't necessarily have to have the best stuff in all of baseball to be successful, but they're able to to make little tweaks to their their pitches, add the cutters, the sweepers, the
0: sliders, whatever, um, and then just get swings and misses on those fastballs. Quick reminder for our viewers and listeners, go ahead and subscribe on YouTube if you haven't already. Jimmy, as we record this on Thursday night, you had astrosfuture.com list on your site of the Astros picks who either intended to sign or who verbally agreed. If my math is right, 11 of the 20 look like they'd pretty much sign with the Astros. Any thoughts on how they look on the big picture there and who you might be concerned about? If I was betting, I think the only one that's probably
1: not going to sign is going to be Andrew Duncan, the the uh, high school outfitter, the nineteenth round pick. He's got a commitment to Florida State, and he's a a pretty highly regarded prospect. I think what the the Astros did there, you know, they like I mentioned, they took the three high school players, Jaworski, and then the two outfitters in the eleventh and twelfth round those guys probably aren't as highly rated as Duncan. So I think their plan is to sign those three guys. But if for some reason it kind of falls through, maybe they pivot and they they put all that money on Duncan. It's almost like a backup plan. We saw them do it last year as well. They, they drafted Ryan Clifford in the 11. They ended up signing him. They didn't sign one of their high school guys, I think in the 18th round. And a lot of teams tend to do that. So uh, I expect probably 19 of the 20 to sign, but I think it's a really good sign that we've already seen guys have um, intended to sign or verbally agreed, especially those high school guys like Chase Jaworski. Um And then the, the two outfitters in the 11th and 12th round.
2: If I may, you just mentioned a guy a few moments ago, Christian Javier, that is maybe a linchpin guy this year for the Astros until he gets his stuff back. Um, <laughs> he puts it together. How concerned are you with Christian Javier? That's my one question. And then I'll kind of backdoor it with. What are some guys that you've been looking at in the bigs now coming up, you know, inside of a month with this trade deadline that you feel like are right there for the Astros taking, because even if Javier's right, even if he's good to go, I still feel like this rotation needs a top of the line starter. How do you see it, Jimmy?
1: Yeah, I think I think adding a starter is going to be important, not, not only just to you know to get another good pitcher in this uh, in the organization, but you know Hunter Brown. I think he pitched 120 innings or something like that last year. He's yep. he's you know creeping up on that already, and we're halfway through the season. Uh, you know, it's a it's a young staff. JP France, same thing. I mean, older in age, but young in terms of experience. Uh, Blanco as well. So those guys, you know, they're going to keep eating innings, but eventually they're going to. They're going to slow down. And maybe we've already started to see it a little bit with Brown. Hopefully this break will be good for him. With Javier, it's it's so hard to say. You know, that I don't know if he's battling some kind of injury, if he's tipping pitches, what's going on, but he's been very unlike himself, you know, the last uh, last few weeks, last month or so. I and mean, I know the velocity's down a little bit. So you hope it doesn't have anything to do with the injury. Hopefully he'll get it turned around. But on the on the trade thing, you know, it's interesting. If the Astros want to go for a top of the top of, you know, top of the market uh, rotation, top of the rotation kind of guy. They have the prospects to probably do it, but in doing so, they're going to deplete the system. You know, their teams are going to be asking for a Drew Gilbert if you're looking for a Dylan Cease or something like that from the White Sox. And Drew Gilbert on top of probably Spencer Arrogetti, who's our top pitching prospect, maybe Jacob Melton, who I mentioned earlier, the second-round pick last year. I don't know if they're going to go at that level, if they're going to look, you know, to go a little bit lesser. I mean, a guy like Shane Bieber from from uh, Cleveland I like a lot. I think he can be had for a little bit cheaper than you might see uh, Dylan Cease. And then uh, Michael Lorenzen, you know, the – the uh i think he's uh pitching for the uh the giants if i'm not mistaken um right but uh but good numbers and he made the all-star team which is you know i think he was even, even a little surprised because his numbers aren't like phenomenal eras around four but he could be an innings eater to kind of get you there because do you think the the rotation would be strong enough in the in the playoffs if javier's back and you have framber and you have hunter brown pitching like he was early in the season it might be strong enough for you uh, but if they don't feel that way maybe they go for a guy like shane B- uh shane bieber who i do think could be had a little bit cheaper than than dylan season that's a guy that's uh, been a top of the rotation
0: arm and, and is having a good season you know Eric Getty better than most of us would you be afraid to deal him and how does he peak performance wise compared to somebody like a Hunter Brown or something like that
1: I, I would be I mean I think he's your your best pitching prospect in the system right now you know he just made it to AAA, a 23 years old you know, he's throwing about 94. So he doesn't really have maybe the stuff that Brown has. He, at last year, he was touching like 97, 98. So maybe it's now about just kind of finding that consistency with the wind up and making sure that velocity sticking around. Uh, but I think he's got some of the best swing and miss stuff in the system and a guy that could probably – Uh, probably should have been rated higher by a lot of evaluators coming into the season. So, yeah, I would be worried to trade him. Obviously, if you're trading him and you get a pitcher that's, you know, controllable for, you know, three, four, five years, it kind of makes it worth it. Where I would really get worried is they end up making a move like that for a guy who's a, Who's a rental and you're trading, you know, one of your top pitching prospects, maybe him or Colton Gordon. But yeah, I mean, there's the the personal connection with uh, with Spencer. And I would like to see him get the opportunity in here in Houston, especially being the Houston kid as well. But you know, you never want to trade any of your your top prospects, the Gilbert or the Aragetti. I think that's the way the Astros have continued to build, you know, this winning, winning culture of the last 10 years is they've done well keeping prospects and not trading when, I mean, you know, when they were making moves in in 16, 17, 18, you know, people were calling for Kyle Tucker. They, they wanted him in the Astros refused to, to trade him. And I mean, you could just imagine where we would be if we didn't have Tucker in the outfield right now.
2: Yeah. It's, it's going to be an interesting watch. I'm, uh, I'm, I'm growing anxious because, you know, there was a lot to unpack in what you just said, in my opinion, because you talk about the level of pitcher that the Astros should be interested in. Maybe will be interested in if it's top of the line guys, somebody more middling, maybe like a Jake Odorizzi type, mm-hmm. you know, just somebody like a veteran that, you know, can give you those innings and battle in some of those tougher innings. So, you don't have to rely so much upon, you know, a Hunter Brown. Whereas, if he continues to go at the pace that he is right now, and I know he's struggling, but I mean, my gosh, you know, going from 100 innings in 2021 to 120 and 22 to approaching 140, 145 by season's end and then asking him to be a level two, level three guy in the postseason for you, that's going to be tough. How much do you think? Next year factors in, in terms of what the Astros are going to be in the market for this year. And I ask for two reasons. I'm thinking maybe a little bit too far ahead, but Lance McCullers, Luis Garcia, I don't foresee them being ready next year at Mm -hmm. any point. They're probably not going to pitch again in Astros uniform till 2025. And then I thought about what Dana Brown said a couple of weeks back. We're not in the business of trading prospects for rentals. Well, what's what's that fine line, Jimmy, when you have a championship window right now that is wide open, particularly just getting in and winning the division? That's Mm -hmm. right there, more so now than it ever has been this season. You know, just two and a half weeks ago, you're looking up at the Rangers six games, and now you go into the break just two behind them, and you got – uh, three more with them coming up inside of the next week and a half. How do you see this thing playing out?
1: I think it's a good point. I think the Astros are going to want to get somebody who's got some control, who's got a couple of years. You know, if if they're going to trade good prospects, they're going to want the guy to contribute for a while. That's why I think if they decide to go with the uh, uh, the rental route, maybe they maybe they go with an innings eater like uh, Michael Lorenzen, a guy who can come in and be kind of your fifth starter and just eat innings, you know, and, and get up to that hundred and eighty two hundred innings and um, just kind of get us through the season. But I, I think if they're going to try to add a, you know, a more top of the rotation kind of guy, Uh, maybe even a number two, number three, I think they're going to look for someone who does have some some team control. And I think you bring up a good point. A good GM has to always be looking to the future, too. It can't just be about right now because, you you know, the goal is to make the postseason as many times as possible because we've seen how much of a crapshoot it really is in all sports, really. But, you know, you you make the postseason as many times as possible. You extend that window. You have an opportunity. All it takes is one pitcher to get hot, a couple hitters to get hot, and you can knock down some really good teams we've seen the Astros do it we've seen people yeah. do it to us as well um, so I think looking to the future knowing that maybe you won't have Garcia and McCullers next year if they do make a deal I, I could see them uh, definitely valuing somebody who's going to be under control for next year maybe the year after um, just like they did when they traded for Zach Cole I know or, uh, um, I'm sorry Garrett Cole, Garrett Cole I know yeah. that was a I know that was an off-season deal when they traded for Zach Greinke he had some years left you know I, I don't think and I know these are all different GMs but I, I think most GMs will uh will go for guys that have control, especially if you're going to be giving up prospects. At least you get some kind of tenure out of them more than just you know three months. Yeah. Um, and then you know, like I said, anything happens. You know, you trade your top prospects for a guy, you make it to the postseason, get knocked down the wild card round or something like that if you don't win the division. And then you know, now you're down your top prospects, and
0: you, you didn't even get out of the wild card, uh, wild card round. You mentioned on social media they've already signed. Four undrafted free agents, unless I missed one recently in the last few hours. How many did they sign last year, Jimmy? Oh gosh. Um it was just one, I, right? Yeah. No, I think they had two. It was Logan Van Wy and one other one. But yeah, they
1: got four. I didn't realize it, but I saw someone tweet it out today. I guess the Astros drafted the least amount of pitchers of any team. Uh they they went high on on you know the uh, uh, position players, but they signed three. Uh, right-handed pitchers undrafted so we've seen them do that the last couple of years and some of them have, have paid dividends i mean you know if you sign an undrafted guy and he gets up to AAA, a that, that's a win almost right you know i mean obviously a contributors ideal but they've had some undrafted guys make it that far but yeah i think they've signed three right-handed pitchers and then they signed a, a shortstop as well that was undrafted
0: just one more quick big picture question as far as the Astros system is concerned uh, J- uh Sean just mentioned Garcia or Keaty, we we know about Fromber and Christian Javier. You look at what they did in the international signings over the last few years. Are they still doing okay there in the last couple of years? Yeah, and th- those it takes so long to see the to reap the benefits of that. You know, you're
1: signing a guy at 16 over in the uh, Dominican Republic and plays a couple years in the DSL, finally comes over to FCL, and then. You know, it's it's three, four years before he's even making debut in a a full season ball. But Luis Baez and Kenny Gomez are two highly rated outfielders they signed. They're both in the FCL. I think Baez might have been dealing with some kind of nagging injury, but he had like seven homers in his first 11 games down in Florida. Kenny Gomez is playing well. Hopefully those guys make it to Fayetteville. So I I think they're doing okay there. If you go look at the Fayetteville roster, it's a lot of international signees, a lot of young young guys they've signed uh, internationally. But getting a guy like Baez and Gomez on that team is definitely going to help out a lot.
0: You go into uh, Sugarland this weekend to see Jordan and Arkiti? No, uh,
1: I obviously I didn't find out until today that they were going to be rehabbing there, and unfortunately I made made some work plans, so um, I won't be able to attend. But um, but yeah, that'll be good. That'll uh, that'll really help their uh, attendance too. They do well with attendance, but anytime they have a player there, they it's usually a sellout.
2: Well, those guys on the mend, right? And we're uh, I believe thirteen days away from the evening of July 26th. That would be the conclusion of a three-game series against the Texas Rangers. You're two games back right now. I don't know if those guys factor in between now and then, but look into your crystal ball, man. Evening of July 26th, are the Astros in first place or still looking up at the Texas Rangers?
1: I'm always an optimist. So I'm going to, I'm going to say in first place, I think this break is going to be good for the team. I think that, I think, uh, you know, just getting some time off, you know, I know Tucker played in the all-star game. That was about it. Framberg getting some time off is going to be good. He's been a workhorse to this point for, you know, unfortunately he's only seven and six, despite being one of the best pitchers in baseball. Um, But I think getting that time off is going to be good. We saw them handle Texas. Well, when we played them in, in Arlington or, um, wherever they're at up in North Texas, <laughs> right. uh, South Oklahoma. But uh, but we handled them well, and I think the Astros are going to be able to take care of business. And I think having – it may be overblown, but I think having guys that have been in the, the position before and, and played deep into the postseason and played in, in high-pressure games, I think they're going to be able to, to, uh, to do well in the second half. And then uh, we'll see. I don't, I don't know if they're going to wait until July 31st to, to make a deal or if they're going to you know get something going early. And um, we've already seen some some trades happen. Um, so that could be another boost, but, uh, but, yeah, like I said, I'm an optimist. I, I I think they'll I think they'll be all right.
0: For everybody out there, if you haven't already, go to Astros Future, the podcast. Uh, Jimmy and Kenny just broke down literally every player in the draft going through all the guys. Astrosfuture.com, dot com. You've got a bunch of stuff up there too, right, Jimmy?
1: Yep, so uh, I know you you mentioned it on Twitter, and uh, I, I did the signings tracker, so I'll be updating that as they come out. Uh, hopefully we'll really start and get some information in the next couple of days on kind of what these slot bonuses are. Cause that's, that's going to be important to see what, uh, what we have left over to sign those high school guys, but it sounds like we'll get them. But yeah, I got a, a piece on Andrew Taylor, the Astros second round pick uh, coming out next week. I know Kenny's working on a few things too. It's been a wild couple of weeks, but this is uh this is fun. And I, I will say, and I know you, um, kind of off topic, but I'm glad that MLB has the draft in the all-star week because no minor league baseball from Sunday to Friday is pretty rough in the middle of the season. So at least, at least there's been the draft to talk about. So Definitely appreciate that, the, that scheduling.
0: Yeah, people wonder why the, the draft is in the middle of the season. Well, it's, a, it's, it's been really good to have uh, during the last few days. Uh, I can't thank you enough, Jimmy, for doing this. And uh, love your stuff and, and keep it up, man. Yeah, appreciate it. Uh, thanks for having me on again, guys. Hey, Sean, the Astros schedule is out, and they open next season at Minute Maid with the Yankees. Are you treating me? What's going on? Am I treating you? Yeah. Uh, for those uh, high price tickets,
2: man, I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> I would love to. If I can get some uh, discount ticks or some freebies, uh, you're going. We're going. Well,
0: Sports Radio 610? A little, little Sports Radio 610 money? No?
2: No? Uh, Sports Radio 610 money, even if they were the flagship of the Astros. You know how that goes. <laughs> <laughs> Let's go to the clients, not the
0: employees usually. Oh, I was just assuming there was you all the – cash that flows in for Sports Radio 610.
2: Yeah, you know, we can just go in the kitchen there and pop open a pantry and just take a stack of hundies anytime we want. Wouldn't that be nice?
0: (laughs) Yeah, well, just uh, maybe John McClain dropped his wallet or something like that. Right. (laughs) Uh, Hey, uh, let me ask you, uh, because I got a couple of all-star thoughts in a second, and and I'll get to that. But first of all, Sean, for some reason, Astros fans, they keep trying to talk themselves or maybe they're trying to talk Dana Brown into a Shohei Ohtani trade. Can you think of anything less likely to happen in the next three weeks?
2: Less likely to happen. Man, less likely to happen. Uh, Dusty Baker get fired. Uh, Jim Crane sell the team. Uh The Astros (laughs) offload every single cornerstone piece that they have for, um, you know, a bag of baseballs. I mean, that kind of stuff. Otani, it's not going to happen, man. It's just not going to happen. And uh, look, the kind of contract that he wants, look, GMs and owners change their mind. Players and their performances can make them do those types of things sometimes. But we've been listening to Jim Crane, and now, especially Dana Brown, he's kind of, you know, pulled Jim Crane back you know on his side a little bit and said hey you know we do need to look at some longer term contracts but i think where they settle is somewhere in the middle of like a uh, 7 or 8 year kind of a deal not not 50
0: uh, or 60 million dollars in 10 or 12 years to no
2: money. No, absolutely not. And it's not even just for that reason, but also for what it would take to get a guy like that. You know, I've been listening to a lot of the conversation and you can't have the conversation unless you bring up a guy like Jordan Alvarez. And I just don't know why you do a deal like that. For me, it just doesn't make sense. Not just from a financial standpoint of view, but positionally. I know in sustainability, really, I mean, if I could lump those two in together, um, I know Jordan's got his... In injury issues, but when you're paying a guy to do both things, pitch and hit at an optimum level, at an elite hall of fame type level, like you are going to be Shohei Otani, um, I worry way more about one of those things depleting or both of those things depleting due to injury. And I, I know if I'm the Astros, I just like the way that they've operated in terms of, you know what, we don't need to go out and spend an exorbitant amount of money on any one particular player. I like the fact that look at this roster. I mean, they've drafted, they've developed, they've acquired. And not this past offseason withstanding, because there were some horrible contracts, you know, handed out. They look a little bit better now. At least half of them do. Hashtag Jose Abreu, not so much Montero. But you see where I'm coming from. I like the the construction of the organization versus just pinning your hopes and dreams on one particular or two particular players that could potentially cost you. And I'm trying to see an out for this. Like, if the Astros ever did anything like that, you convince me how they would ever be known for anything outside of maybe— be becoming you know the los angeles angels of anaheim texas edition
0: yeah yeah and 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 look at it this way you're paying 50 or 60 million dollars to one guy you said you said it it's dangerous to put all that money into one because if he goes down and look at what the astros have done Mm -hmm. they have shohei otani in christian javier assuming this guy something something's not major happening here assuming he gets back to being christian javier at some point they did they have the same guy in Otani and Javier and Jordan Alvarez. And those guys contracts go look at them. Yeah. It's going to be about half the price of paying Otani, you know, whatever he's going to get starting next year. That that's the deal. And then you're, you're probably paying him 50 or $60 million at 36, 37, 38. And uh, outside of a which we all disagree with that's not the Astros thing is to throw a bunch of money at a guy, as he's getting into his middle-late 30s.
2: Yeah. It, you know, th- the difficult thing for me, if I can put it in a nutshell, and look, I, I do to a degree appreciate, you know, the constant comparison of, you know, Otani to what Babe Ruth did, uh, you know, back in the early 19 uh, teens. Um, impressive, terrific. But, larger extent, nobody has ever done what Shohei Otani is doing. And so, again, I worry about the sustainability of that. If you're going to sign a guy for eight, nine, ten years, I'd even be wary and scared of, you know, seven, just the money and what it can do to an organization. Um, And, look, I know people are saying, like, well, baseball teams are making a ton of money. Yeah, of course they are, but the owners aren't always willing to spend it. You know, if Jim Crane wanted to, he could have given Justin Verlander 45 million per year for three years. But he didn't. And, you know, I think a lot of Astros fans are are just fine with that. Um, Still, even to this day, even as Justin Verlander's pitching, you know, much, much better over the course of the last month plus. But I I say all that to say this, just it's it's too risky. It's not worth it. And it hasn't been your blueprint through multiple GMs over the course of the last six years. So why change the way you're operating your business just because it's the biggest, the sexiest, most attractive and most tempting thing to do? Check back with me in 10 to 12 years and see how well that worked out. If he's going to actually be, even if it's middling as a pitcher, even if it's middling
0: as a hitter, was it really Worth it, Sean. Quit trying to convince me. I, you're, I'm on your side, man. No, we a lot of, a lot give, of people aren't, you know. Yeah, I mean, yeah, yeah. It's so We're,
2: crazy. Like, yeah, the whole well, it's not my money. Okay, sure, I can roll with that, you know. But I also want to have a really good ball club for as long as we possibly can. And there's no indication that the Los Angeles Angels of Anaheim. Uh, are ever going to figure that one out. And they've got two generational-type talents.
0: It's almost like Astros fans haven't been paying attention to how they've been winning for the last decade and how the Angels have been losing. But let's go to what I think is the most important thing in the show. The world owes me and Rob Manford an apology. We told you so, Sean. We told you so. Everybody gripe about the new baseball rules. You knew this was coming, Sean. But we were right. The verdict at the All-Star break, baseball attendance up 8%. Highest pre-All-Star attendance in a decade, 24 of 30 teams increased attendance. The average fan's age, six years younger. Not surprisingly, TV viewership, better. ESPN Sunday Night Baseball, up 4%. Fox Sports, up 31%. TBS, up 38%. Regional Sports Networks, up 3%. MLB's social media accounts up 25% in engagement. So Sean, start showing me and Manfred some love, baby. I ain't showing Manfred
2: nothing. Um, <laughs> I'll show him a couple things, but you know, I don't need you to like uh, blur me out here, but yeah, I get yeah. the double rods easy. Um, now, you know, I, I agreed with a lot of, you know, what was going on in terms of the rule changes, but I give you props, I give you a little tip of the cap just so we can move on. Um, I, I'm curious about this. Those are the numbers. Those are the hard numbers, but I want to go a little bit deeper. I'd be curious to see the local markets and what the viewership has been for AT&T, you know.
0: What they or, said, yeah, re- or, what they whatever. said was regional is down 3% overall across the board. Like the Astros are, you know, it's team to team sometimes, you know, where they are because obviously as your team doing good, Is your team doing bad, that's going to be part, part and parcel of that. But overall, 3% regionally.
2: Okay. And then, you know, for the other numbers, I'm also curious about like, okay, what'd you say? Twenty-four of thirty major league ball clubs have increased attendance at their yep. games, right? Yep. Yep. Um, I'd be curious to know out of those twenty-four teams. What are the ticket price disparities from this year to what they've been in years past? Have they gone up? Have they ma- maintained, you know, a certain price level? Have they gone down slightly? Are there better deals, more promotions for fans, stuff like that? One of the, um, one like, the big ticket, so
0: one much. of the big ticket dealers, um, their price is up three dollars. From like 78 to or 75 to 78 on average. That's off. The, this is off the top of my head. I, I didn't write this down, but I think that's about right.
2: And that's not bad, right? I mean, it, you know, what's three bucks? Uh, you know, I, I think a lot of people have that mentality when you're spending 70, 80 bucks per what's three more, you know. So, but 10, but, but your point
0: is, yeah, you know, are, are more people coming because it's cheaper? No, no.
2: Yeah, and so I think there's just a lot of factors, but I think there's a lot more questions, you know, that I would have in terms of sustainability. I I love the numbers, you know, for for years now, and I think you really go back, maybe, you know, just – to not get too crazy with it, if you just went back the last six or seven years throughout the course of Major League Baseball, which six seven years ago were probably operating in around an eight and a half, close to a nine billion dollar a year revenue stream, you know they've been projecting cracking double digits for a few years now, and I think they're set to do that this year, or maybe it was next year, in around the eleven to twelve billion dollar a year range. Now, I want to know like what all of the contributing factors to that is. you know, there's certainly a lot of them. Um, I, I think you know for the simple fact that if you look across the standings, man, and I could be totally dead wrong on this, but you seem to have a better memory on these things than I do. I feel like we are ha- we have a better product overall in terms of major league baseball in terms of competitiveness there aren't that many stinkers out there you know there's like five six maybe max ball clubs in major league baseball right now this year that you know don't have a hope or a prayer to even see respectability by season to end everybody else is kind of just It's a legitimate question. Are they going to be buyers or sellers, you know, at a given point in time, you know, come July 31st? Look at the AL East. I mean, it's tremendous having so many ball clubs in such a variance of like top of the market to freaking Tampa Bay. You know, what's their team payroll like? Well,
0: the the Pirates matter. How about that? The Pirates matter and the Reds matter and and the Marlins matter. The Marlins matter.
2: Yes. I mean, it's, it's incredible. And I think I saw a graphic a week or so ago, maybe it was even during the all-star break. They were showing those three teams payrolls, not even close to even cracking a hundred million per, if I remember correctly, it was like 70, 60, $80 million range, maybe even less. Um, But those are all kinds of the questions that I would have and want to look deeper into in terms of sustainability. Why are we seeing this trend? It's not just the rules. I'm actually surprised that you mentioned what ESPN viewership on major league baseball is up 4%. Fox sports. One is up 31%. Like what percentage of the games are those networks actually carrying where people can digest and, and, and watch their baseball from those two, two markets, you know, I'd be interested in that. Um, So there's a lot more. I just hope it continues to to trend upwards. Um, I had a question for you relative to this. You know, what's the conversation going to be like over the next few days, weeks, whenever they have to make this determination ahead of the postseason in terms of the pitch clock? Are they going to change it? Is it going to stay the same? Do you think it should stay the same since that's what guys are used to now at this point in time?
0: Yeah, if you're asking me, you know, I'm somebody that that one of the big things that I just really hated about these last few postseasons with the Astros is the games would just go into the night to the point where you, you were miserable as an Astros fan mm-hmm. as far as, you know, trying to get sleep and playing catch-up with that and all that. So you want to keep it still within range. If they wanted to add a second or two to uh, pitches with guys on base, guys with off base or whatever, a second or two. But don't go crazy. Don't take away that rule. Don't add five. I've heard five seconds. Look, two seconds will be, will feel like a lot, Sean. To these guys after this season, and I think it's it's good that uh, we're at this spot because now I I feel like people understand. Hey, this is a better product.
2: Yeah, maybe so. I heard somebody suggest, um, you know, add five seconds to oh. the pitch clock uh, with without runners on base. Well, <laughs> I think if you ask the players, certainly the ones that are maybe raising this concern of theirs or have this idea that they'd like to see an increase for the postseason. I'm willing to bet that they probably are asking because they'd like to see that increase with runners on base in a higher leverage situation, Uh, you know, quite possibly not. And you're also
0: talking about the most boring part of a game when there's no runners on base, adding more time to that time.
2: Right, 100%. And so I think if you're going to do one, you have to do the other. But, I mean, if we've learned anything from Major League Baseball, unless they're going to just totally go against the grain and against everything that they've done, um, not just under Manfred, but even under Sealy. With any subtle change that they have made, there's always been kind of that uh, period of time where you're going to test it in the minors or you're going to wait until the next season to do something where you have a full 162 to experience it. I do not foresee them going 162 regular season games with a 15 and 20 pitch clock and then changing it to 20 or 25 or even a 16 to 21, whatever. I just don't foresee that. It, it totally goes against everything that Major League Baseball has done, certainly in recent years.
0: Yeah, two seconds or whatever. Average game time, by the way, down 26 minutes. Games averaging a Love half that. a run more, half a run. The stolen base success rate up 3.6%. But obviously, you know, I I didn't find the number before we started, but obviously stolen bases are through the roof now compared to what we've seen from them. Quick all-star game thoughts, Sean. Could the booing of Astros players, because this was a conversation, could the booing of Astros players by Seattle fans, could that have been misinterpreted? Could it be just that Seattle fans were booing their division rival, which obviously the Astros are the big bad boys in their division. And they were booing Jordan Alvarez, who, by the way, clown them in the playoffs. Obviously we saw that instead of this being this hackney, well, they booed him because of the cheating scandal or what it could, it, could this be po- actually possible?
2: You know, I don't know if people want to hear this or not. Like I think people in Houston are sick and tired of it, you know, but I also think there's people in Houston that misinterpret things I'm so glad you asked me this, man, because I was livid. I mean, I was at my peak of peaks, man, just the frustration reading conversations, listening to sports talk and, and just feeling the vibe of like embrace the hate like, that, that's supposed to be our, our calling card. Like, you know, hate us. <laughs> you hate us because you ain't us kind of thing. Like, embrace that, Houston. And I think Houston has. But I also think, you know, do you boo the New York Yankees? Do you boo the Boston Red Sox? Do you boo the LA Dodgers, the St. Louis Cardinals? Of course you do.
0: They don't why? boo, they why? don't boo garbage teams, Astros fans. Exactly. Why be, do you boo
2: those teams? Especially Houston Astros. Why yeah. do you boo them? You know, because them... they've beat your ass before, Robert. Because they've been, you know, postseason contenders before, Robert. That's the reason why. People boo the Yankees everywhere they go. And you wanted to be the Yankees so bad. Houston. You're the Yankees. You're the best team in Major League Baseball. You're the team that everybody wants to beat that can't. You're the team that everybody really wants to be. Everybody that's booing isn't the smartest fan, doesn't all know their baseball. There are a bunch of Johnny-come-latelys in some cases. There are a bunch of guys that are booing because somebody else is booing next to them. But the real baseball fans understand That there's like three players that currently exist on this Astros ball club that was a part of the cheating in 2017. That's it. But it's the organization. It's the team. It's the colors. It's the city. It's called a rivalry. It's called being the best. It's called walking around with a target on your back. And I freaking love it. Because if you're not walking around with a target on your back, then you're doing it wrong. You can just call us the Chicago White Sox or the Cleveland Indians Guardians, whatever, Marlins, some other nondescript, random, mediocre team in Major League Baseball. Yeah. Be proud of where this Astros team is. I embrace the booze.
0: Save your energy, your Twitter typing, and all this wrapped up energy you got Astros fans in being mad at other teams because they're mad at us. Instead, I want you to use that energy to the next time you're at Minute Maid Park and they start the wave, kick that other guy in the, in the knee or elbow him in the chest and say stop it we are not doing this three-year-old garbage from 1985 still 40 years later that all you know especially in the seventh eighth the biggest points of the game seventh eighth the ninth inning we're doing the way the what like this is i I love the 80s there's no bigger fan of the 80s than me this should have left with hairspray and shoulder pads guys (laughs)
2: <laughs> a lot more than that, corduroy. I mean, <laughs> you can go. You can go a lot of different.
0: Yeah, directions. there was there was some bad fashion, but the music and the movies, and the, I, uh, uh, it was pretty good. I was um, kind
2: of, I was enjoying because you mentioned the wave. You know, I did a public address announcing. I've been doing a lot of that recently, but I did it for the uh, Gold Cup. Uh, you know, in the Concacaf tournament uh, a couple of weeks ago at uh, Shell Energy Stadium, and you had like Cuba and Guatemala, Panama. You know, a lot of teams there. Every single one of those games, man, they tried to start the wave, <laughs> you know, and I was just like, I haven't, I don't go to many baseball games anymore. I don't know if they're still trying to do that at Minute Made, you know, but I think it's kind of played out. But it's just kind of fun to see like in a different sport, different fans, different interests, they were loving themselves, the waves. Now, they couldn't get it going to save their life, but they were loving it. <laughs> they tried. They just couldn't do it.
0: Yeah, you mentioned soccer. If the if the if the fans, the American fans, want to learn something from soccer fans, start some chants. Be more, be a little bit more creative. Don't start fights. Don't start hooligan stuff. Don't, don't start doing Yankee Boston fan stuff. But that's what you should start. Hey, next All Star thought that I had my final All Star thought. Mm-hmm. Uniforms were just hideous. The the yeah. coolest part of the All Star game, as an Astro fan, was seeing one of my Astros sporting our uniform out there. I just hate these general stuff, and, and not only are they general, they would just look like something that some, uh, some stupid Nike exec thought about for like three seconds. Uh, what did you think?
2: I'd give them a little bit more credit than that. I mean, they probably spent months on this, and they came up with that garbage, you know, how the corporates are. Um, I hate them. I can't remember the last time you actually wore your team's uniform in an All-Star game. I feel like this has been a thing for a little while now, no? where they've had an American in a National League uniform. There have been some good ones, but I'm with you. I, I do enjoy, um, you know, the individual uniforms. And I'm guessing the problem with that became um, that it was hard to decipher, like, you know, who's who. Are they American? Are they national? You know, like, we should have... One or the other, just like we do every single game. I imagine somebody brought that up that doesn't watch a lot of baseball and doesn't realize that the Pittsburgh Pirates are quite simply in the National League, and you shouldn't get them confused with anybody else in the American League. <laughs> you should just know that. But I don't what, know.
0: What about? I mean, I know it's going to look a little weird, but if you were, if you were a good uniform designer, you could come up with this. Could That's, we wear? Yeah. Could we wear? You know, the uniform of the team and then the baseball cap with American or National League or vice versa, like do the opposite where you're wearing the where they can at least wear their cap so we can see our cap and know it's our guy.
2: Yeah. Or, you know, everybody wear their normal jersey. Right. You know, you've got the logo. If it says Houston or Astros, whatever the case may be, Yankees, New York on the front. Everybody wears their same uniform, but that uniform is maybe tinted—you know, one color to represent American, and tinted another color to represent well, like national. Like, but they were how d- cool would it be to see like the matte colors? You know, if you had like a light matte gray, well, you know, for your road team, and then yeah, but the
0: whites uh, for home. yeah, Sean, they were they were. It was kind of what they were. Do- they they had. You could see the insignia on the hat. And it was, but it was all the same color. It was kind of faded. I'm like, nah, that it just looks, it doesn't look good. I mean, I didn't yeah, like the that.
2: colors weren't good. The colors weren't good. You know, it just didn't play well. Um, I, I, I just think you can't go wrong with, you know, wearing your, your original Jersey, because the, the, the way you decipher it is everybody, you know, if the, if the game was a home game for the American league, okay. American would wear white national would wear their road jerseys. Very simple. You can't screw that up. They need to go back to that. I'm sure they used to do it for years and years and years. But, um, you know, people get uniforms wrong a lot. I That's... hope the Houston Texans, over the course of the next uh, few months, whenever they're going to unveil the uniform for 2024, do not. That is very important because they have built that up yeah. way so like so big. They can't screw that up.
0: Yeah, it's it's not – it's not like the NBA where you have to wear colors so the guys know who's who. Baseball is just so different that way. Like the NBA, I get it because you got to be able to see on the court, like you see the yeah. colors, and you can't be looking. Okay, is he in the Western? Is he on? And now they don't even have Western because so it's so confusing. So they actually have to break it up. But uh, yeah, baseball—that's one of the great traditions that I that I miss, and I, I think it's gone. It's probably gone back and forth many times over the years on this. But I like. I like it the way I talked about it. I've got
2: one all-star game thought. I was severely disappointed. Now, granted, you know, for those who don't know, I have a three-year-old, so it's very difficult to hear any of the broadcast. So they very well might have mentioned this. I'm sure they had to have mentioned this. But I was most disappointed for this all-star game to be in Seattle. You've got Edgar Martinez. You've got Jay Buhner. You've got Ken Griffey Jr., and who was the pitcher that they had? I can't remember his name. Where the hell was Randy Johnson? Where was Randy Johnson? How do you not have Randy freaking Johnson walk out of the tunnel and get celebrated and have him not throw out the first pitch of the All-Star game?
0: It's crazy Yeah, to me. yeah Randy, he's a weird guy, and he's, he's probably a little bit of a recluse, and he's probably out taking pictures in the middle of the desert or something yeah. like that. So, you know, he's a big – if you don't know, he loves to take photos and stuff. So, yeah, I don't – I thought that was
2: so fake, by the way, like a year ago when that came out on social media. I I did so much research to try to debunk that, and it's true. (laughs) It was great, though. He should have been at the All-Star game taking pictures, you know, throw off the, the camera guy vest and go out there and, you know, throw a heater down the pipe at 85 or something. Let's see what you got left, man. I mean, I was disappointed that he wasn't there. I don't know. Did they mention him at all?
0: I, I didn't pay that much attention as to the broadcast because I'm I'm I don't know how big a fan I was of listening to the broadcasters, but yeah, I just I just uh, I, I, if I were to bet, I would bet they they might have said something to him and he wasn't interested. And you know, Randy also has a you know, there's a lot of connection to the Diamondbacks because he won the World Series there and he spent a few years there as well. Uh, I, I want to leave you with this thought as we head towards the trade deadline, Sean. If you're still dreaming of the Astros trading for another bat, think about this. What team in baseball has a lineup with two MVPs, Altuve Abreu, two top three MVP finishers, Bregman and Jordan, a two-time All-Star, Kyle Tucker, and an ALCS and World Series MVP, C. Jeremy Pena. And I'll add, Sean, that if Yadier Diaz was a starter, He'd currently have the fifth best OPS among all major league baseball catchers. This is a great lineup. It should be.
2: Yeah, it is. It is. Um, those are all, uh, you know, the argument is as well, they've been decorated for seasons of the past. Okay. What about this
0: year? Well, I mean, I, how about you guys living up to what we're paying you to do into your baseball. Exactly, exactly. And I think they will. Um
2: Again, you know, my argument, you know, before the season, you know, was and going through their struggles was and still is today. The same is that these are all guys, even even Altuve, because we've seen him play just up and down from injury. And he hasn't looked like Altuve of old, but he's still looked pretty dang good the numbers and are Greg, good. Bregman's June numbers into July are really freaking good. Jordan's good every time. You just need to keep him healthy. Like, I can go on and on and on. Yeah, These are and- all guys that have not reached their peak or are at their peak injured. or are slightly coming down off of their peak. Injured, injured. Here-
0: injured, injured, injured. Two of the guys, are injured. Yeah, they're you injured. Know, but you'll yeah, get them back healthy. Them have healthy. absolutely lived up to what, they're, what they are. Absolutely. Look at the numbers. They're there. They mm-hmm. just can't get on the field. And as far as um, as far as uh, Kyle Tucker, he's there, you know. Yeah, Bregman's got to pick it up, and Abreu, we know about Abreu. So Bregman's yeah, good. it's so. I mean, this th- it's not impossible that this is a great lineup. Yeah. When all is said and done by September, but yeah, the idea that you've got to go out like who? Which one of those guys you kick it out? And then exactly. the other the other two scrubs that you could throw out there, the scrubs in the lineup, the scrubs, and you and I, you know, have talked about the scrubs that you would throw out there in the other two positions are like Chaz and Dubon.
1: You know, it's
2: crazy. Like
0: Eight, I, I nine, it's Chaz every, and Dubon.
2: I don't I don't know every ball club, you know, like the back of my hand, you know, and the hitters that they have coming off the bench and stuff, but just knowing what I know about this Astros ball club, I don't think it's crazy to say that they have one of the deepest lineups in all of baseball because your other dudes, your scrubs, the guys coming off the bench have been freaking really good for you and have basically been starters, key ones as well at various points this season. Dubon and Marisnyk, uh Myers, uh, Jolks, oh my God, I love, I love Jolks. I mean, these guys have all played key roles to this point in the season, and so yeah, your scrubs, uh, they're pretty darn good as well it just uh, i think is going to hurt over the course of the next uh, 17 18 days at some point you might be losing one or two of those guys for a uh, starting level arm the top end of the rotation or back of the bullpen it's going to cost you one or two of those guys in my mind i know astros future you know jimmy who was on with us earlier said that uh, the farm system is deep enough to maybe swing a deal for a top level arm but i don't know that it is in terms of like who the Astros deem untouchable if anybody and I'd have to guess they deem uh, Getty and uh, Gilbert as untouchable. certainly Gilbert.
0: Yeah, no question about it yeah And Eric Getty it's you know that's somebody that maybe you could have him bringing him up in September and he could be one of those guys at the, at the top of your rotation uh, if he starts pitching well in September, you just never you never, never know who's going to help you by the time the season ends. And even, you know, if they traded Jake Myers and, and we all of a sudden see Drew coming up in September or something like that, and he's able to help you in the lineup, you just, you know, it's, 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 it's a big crapshoot, but uh, you and I are going to do this again in a few days. And, and uh, just want to thank everybody for always supporting us. And hopefully uh, in the next few months, well, I'm hoping in the next few days or a few weeks, but, Hopefully, I'll sound like myself again. I still, I you say I sound normal. I still, I still hear it. So I you're I, your I want,
2: worst critic, man. You sound great.
0: I want this jaw to, to just come on, loosen up for me a little bit. But uh, we'll talk to you guys later. Have a good one. Have a great weekend, everybody. Enjoyed it. You're listening to Houston Sports Talk. Hey, don't forget to support us by subscribing and commenting on YouTube. You can always listen to us on Spotify, Apple, or your favorite podcast app. Tell your friends about us and share our show links on social media. Spread the word, everybody. Thanks for listening.